for LA Times Studios and The Real, I'm Mark Olson. With the romantic comedy. For some time now, it seems that the rom-com has kind of suffered sort of a poor fate from Hollywood studios, but it recently seems back on the upswing in no small part through a series of movies coming out through Netflix. And so to join me today talking about the romantic comedy, I have some of my colleagues here. Amy Kaufman, Ryan Gosling stands since The Notebook. Jen Yamato, because who doesn't love to love Mark? <laughs> I agree. <laughs> Yvonne Villarreal. So maybe one way to kind of get this started, a couple weekends ago, it was a Saturday, it seemed like any old Saturday, and suddenly my Twitter feed just exploded with people talking about a movie called Set It Up that had just been released on Netflix. And Jen, maybe you can talk a little bit about sort of what seems like a groundswell of support for the movie. I think you and some played some part in that. And what is it maybe about Set It Up in particular that seems to be like eliciting this response? Let me take you back to that Saturday morning. It was 12 hours after Netflix had released their latest original feature, Set It Up, starring Zoe Deutsch and what's his face? Glenn Powell. Glenn Powell. <laughs> what's his I don't face? know. I've never seen Glenn Powell before. He was in Hidden, Hidden Figures. Figures. Yeah, yeah. Pretty good. Yeah, he was in Hidden Figures for like two seconds. Very handsome. But I love him in Set It Up. It's So basically, it's like the first time that I saw him. But anyways— On the Saturday, I had gathered very impromptu a number of fellow female journalists and filmmakers at my home. There were mimosas, there was lots of champagne, and there was I didn't get that invite. Same. You guys, it happened so last minute. You're invited to all the other ones. And like all our friends were there. Rude. (laughs) I had I'm so sorry. You guys should have been there. But, but why this movie? What yeah, about this well, movie? Well, it had been it had shown up in all of our Netflix queues over the previous week, just teasing the release of this movie. Set it up, and so it auto plays a trailer. So then you're like, oh my gosh, this kind of looks good. And in the preceding month or so, I had found myself alone at home watching all the other Netflix original romantic comedies, such as The Kissing Booth. And Ibiza. And so in a strange way, it seemed as if Netflix had organically launched this new wave of romantic comedies. And the marketing totally worked on me because that it piqued my interest. And I was like, this actually looks good. What about it piqued your interest? Like, what's it about? Well, set it up. I've never seen it. Set it up is about two 20-something-year-old New York City assistants who work for Nightmare Bosses who come up with this brilliant idea of setting up their bosses, played by Lucy Liu and Tay Diggs, together so that if their bosses start a relationship, that these assistants will then get more like personal lives. They'll get their lives back. They'll get their own time back. And it's very self-referential in that they refer to it as parent trapping or Cyranoing. So in in many ways, it's a romantic comedy that knows that you are so thirsty for romantic comedies. Amy, can you talk a little bit, I mean, about, I know you've been doing a little bit of reporting about this, just the sort of the actual like strategy behind Netflix and these kind of their new slate of romantic comedies. Well, it's like interesting that Jen was saying this this movie piqued her interest because I think slowly, I mean, let's be real. Netflix has been amazing for original television series and docu-series and even documentary film. But 
not so great on the original movie front. And slowly, I think, like, casual users and journalists alike have noticed the quality potentially increasing. I don't know if that's just because of the kind of level of star they've been able to attract in the film, that you're like, oh, Jillian Jacobs is in this? Or, like, Zoe Deutsch is in this? What What is this movie? And there's better directors, better screenwriters. So I think people have been intrigued by that. But also just the premise, like, I don't know about the other ladies in the room, but like you were saying, I think they're... My go-to on a Friday night, like, if I'm with my roommates and we can't all decide on what to watch, is always an old-school romantic comedy, the kind that replays on E! or TBS or TNT, which is, like, of the Kate Hudson variety or the Katherine Heigl variety. And so the fact that we can have this Netflix option in our home, and I'm not saying these movies are, like, I'll be real. I think the set it up like obsession was a little intense. Like when the reaction to it, I was like, oh my God, guys, this isn't like when Harry met Sally. But it's good enough where you were like, okay, I have some new romantic comedies to watch. Yvonne, is there something, is, do you think there's a specific thing about Netflix, like why this is sort of done well for Netflix? Like uh, something about the platform itself that's like really like led the way for this? Well, I'll say like, If you're watching one of their shows or watching, you know, binging something that's sort of in that vein of romantic comedy, like my mom is like the only person that I know that will watch what Netflix suggests. (laughs) But I bet a lot of people do do that. Yeah. 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 So she will watch what it suggests. And this was one of them. But I know a lot of people, too, like if you're watching and it comes up for you, you're like, okay, let me stick around. If I was willing to dedicate, like, 10 hours of my life watching this one show if they think this will also pique my interest, let me go for it. Well, that's what I think is interesting is, like, the the fact that they've kind of presented us with this package so that you watch Set It Up and it just sort of rolls into also watching Kissing Booth or also watching Ibiza. And so I think that's something about the specifics of the way Netflix makes and markets their movies that this sort of package deal seems, like, really intriguing. Although they're not actually, like, that... Similar. Like, I think, you know, Set It Up appealed to a lot of, you know, young women, maybe women outside of high school. Not that high schoolers couldn't be into it. And The Kissing Booth, which Jen mentioned, came out about a month earlier. That's this movie that was a huge viral hit. I went to Dave & Buster's with the cast, and they're all, like, 18, and I felt so tragically old. But basically... These kids in the movie, Joey King, Joel Courtney, who was in Super 8 when he was like 14, now he's 22, feel old, guys. They were in this random like teen movie that got a lot of attention from teens on social media and Instagram. And like these kids went from literally 1 million followers to 4 million in the span of two months. And um, the star meters shot up. On IMDb. And like Ted Sarandos, the head of Netflix, said that this was one of the most watched movies in the world. And so there are a few other high school movies that Netflix has coming out in August and September. And I think like those movies, I see a correlation between and they're definitely going after that underserved, like, YA female-heavy audience. But, like, Ibiza and Set It Up, those are kind of more Older. for us. Yeah. yeah. They're for, like, 20-something-year-old professional women. Who are, also have no lives, like the characters. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and active Netflix. Yes. <laughs> well, I'm also— Another thing that I find interesting about Set It Up in particular is I, when I was watching it, I kept asking myself, if this was a— theatrical movie it was like a regular movie right. what would its life have been like who would the distributor for that movie right. even be and as think- originally planned for this project yeah because it was going to be an MGM, MGM project with uh, Amelia Clark 
Oh, damn. I remember when I profiled Zoe Deutsch like two years ago. She had just done that movie Before I Fall. And she was auditioning for something right after the interview. And she was like, I really, really, really want this. Like, I really want this movie. And I was like, well, what is it? She's like, I can't tell you, but it's like a rom-com. And, and it was this. And she was just kind of like about to jump off. So this was definitely yeah, a desired project out there, a script out there. Well, I think one of the things that's exciting about the movie is that both Zoe and Glenn Powell, also seen in Everybody Wants Some. That With they, Zoe. Yeah. I think they both, like, feel really hungry, and they're really, like, into this movie. And it's, like, you're kind of... It was interesting. I did an interview recently with Aileen Brosh McKenna about Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, and we were talking about, she like, She did the... 27 dresses. Exactly. <laughs> Iconic. And she said one of the things she likes about rom-coms is it allows stars to be stars. And I think that that... Huh. we what does that watch... mean? Like movie stars. That they get to be, like, you're watching, like, I'm watching Zoe and Glenn's sort of, like, personalities and personas, like, in full flower when I'm watching this movie. Like, they basically get to, like, blow the doors off and be as, like, fun and charming and as exciting. Charming. That's true. That's why Matthew McConaughey did so many. Yeah. I think what's interesting also about the journey that Set It Up took was that it was a failed studio movie when Amelia Clark dropped out because of her Game of Thrones scheduling, the project fell apart. And so it is a a case uh, that's a really interesting case study of Netflix coming in to save a project that might otherwise not be able to exist in the traditional studio system. And it's so good, you guys. I've seen it. I won't tell you how many times I've seen it, but it is more than once. Why? What is it about this movie in particular that's it's like really readily got you accessible? Fired? Like, well, I, I find the characters really enjoyable. The dialogue is really rapid fire in the tradition of a lot of like old school screwball romantic comedies. It's got the music down, the montages. It's kind of got everything that you want out of a romantic comedy, and it's fun. I I found myself and in that first viewing with like. 10 other women, we had to constantly pause the movie because we were laughing so hard because there was a lot of surprising moments, I think, a lot of surprising jokes where you think normally a scene might just end and instead it just like adds one more beat that adds a bit of a more self-awareness or a bit more of a wink. And those moments, I think, go a long way and are kind of rare in movies not Netflix or otherwise. So I found the whole thing really delightful. The leads are really charismatic. Pizza scene. Apparently Zoe yeah. threw up after that because she yes. ate four whole pizzas. Yes. Um, I also think there was something really interesting a Netflix executive said when I was interviewing him for the about Kissing Booth was that part of watching it on Netflix is you feel a sense of ownership and discovery when you help a movie or get excited about it. Like with the Kissing Booth with those stars, you're like, oh my God, I love this star and I'm following their relationship and they're huge and I've known them since the Kissing Booth. Like, with Set It Up, you're like, I tweeted about this and I got other women to watch it. And like, I think that is a different experience than going to the movies that critics have already weighed in on. Well, I think it definitely changes the momentum of a movie in that I think Set It Up is a great example where I'd like, there were some advertisements, like I saw a couple bus ads and things before it had come out, but it feels like that stuff is really ramped up after the movie Afterwards, has opened. Yeah. And so this like, this momentum feeling is really, like, building for it. And that seems like a shift from a traditional movie marketing where it's, like, this wave leading up to the release. And this idea is more like the release is the start of something and Mm -hmm. not the end of something. And that kind of seems to dial into Netflix's 
method of just flooding the market with so many choices and letting audiences organically find those things or helping them by catering their cues to what data has told you they will like. But yeah, in in this case, it was really interesting to see this movie barely marketed uh, in terms of how most movies and features are marketed in the lead-up to opening weekend, so-called opening weekend, after which the Netflix really, I think, pushed talent availabilities, made oh, their yeah. director and writer Also, like, available. as we've noticed as journalists, I think you see in sort of we're talking about the quality increase on Netflix movies, like, they've also stepped up their game PR-wise. Like, they hire outside PR firms, they have bigger screenings beforehand. Like, they're signaling, like, this is an important movie you should pay attention to, not just, like, a random drop on a Friday. Yeah. Whereas I only randomly found Kissing Booth because it was on the landing page of Netflix, and I was like, well, okay, I'll press play, but I'm not going to tell anybody <laughs> that I watched this. You know, Set It and Up Netflix. was... There are bus ads for Set It Up around town, yeah. and there's way more of a push with this one. I think it's interesting to see that Netflix it seems to be, as an organization, learning as it expands so quickly. Well, I'd be yeah. interested to know, like, what movies that they had the rights to that they noticed were getting lots of views to mm. make them see this is a market we should be trying to get into. Like, what are the movies that were getting played a lot? Or even, like, 13 Reasons Why. Like, being like, okay, we need more movies or more content for this Mm -hmm. age group. It's really hard to, like, talk to Netflix about this because we all know that they don't release numbers, but they, like, are so stingy about, sorry, (laughs) about releasing this stuff. Like, you know, you're like... How many people have, you know, what kind of age group is watching this? Or have they also watched How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days or whatever? It's like there's just... Well, we were talking about this among ourselves the other day. Reed Hastings, the head of Netflix, at a conference recently announced that Mudbound, there had been 20 million streaming hours of Mudbound had been watched. No one knows what that means. Does that mean that... 10 million people watched a two-hour movie once or, like, you chop that math up any way that you want So, because it could be people turning it on, watching 10 minutes, and then turning it off. Do you guys- read watching it over and over? <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> yeah. Do you guys think that that adds... Is that Are we all somehow part of that game, I guess? Like, we don't really know how... Like, Set It Up could have... I feel like it's it could insular. Be just a cult thing, right? Like, or just the people on our feed. Exactly. I mean, that's why I always have to be so careful about how I word it. It seems to be a hit, or based on like social yeah. media, yeah. right? Kissing Booth. At least you're like, okay, they got a million more followers since this came out. Clearly, that means something, right? But yeah, it's hard to tell. I don't know. And especially if you're trying to compare it to, like I was saying before, if, say, Magnolia had released this movie or Fox Searchlight had released this movie and we would have these sort of, like, pretty specific metrics to judge it by and we have no idea what the sort of comparables are for Set It Up. And by the way, every time I say Set It Up, I feel in my mind that I'm about to say Set It Off, which is a great movie. Set Up. Oh. Set It Off and Step Up. Yeah, it was always confusing me. Do you guys feel like, what about, in general, just the lack of this kind of movie in the marketplace? Like you were saying, Magnolia. It me crazy. Yeah, I remember a few years ago, Yvonne wrote a great story about loving romantic comedies. And when I watched Kissing Booth, I was thinking like, oh, okay, this is like 10 Things I Hate About You or She's All That for this audience, I guess. The movies that, when I look back on movies that were so meaningful to me, I realized they made like $40 million, which obviously was way more in like 2000. But these were not huge hits. And so I get why they don't exist anymore. But I'm so sad that like these 
movies that maybe weren't critical darlings but were so important to like defining my teen experience don't exist. Well, the fact that like a studio thinks that without Amelia Clark set it up is not worth making is interesting. You know, even with the same director and writer and script, I think I would— I would have paid to have see paid, it. Yeah. I would have, yeah. In the theater. Just because um, I'm so hungry for it. Yes. I mean, I think that's a really interesting part of this is that all of this new wave of YA slash romantic comedies, which the overlap is they're mostly aimed at women, is that there's such a lack of those stories told in the mainstream traditional media. So that's why Set It Up caught my eye. Yeah, but that's like— I haven't seen a romantic comedy in so long, with a few exceptions maybe recently. I mean, I talked to my friend trying to get her to watch this. I was like, she's like, what should I watch this weekend? I was like, oh, there's this really good movie, Set It Up. And this is a friend who's like in the industry and would love this kind of thing. And she texted me the next day, I just watched Set It Up. I thought it was terrible, like really not good. Is this what counts as good now? And like— (laughs) Obviously, I think she's crazy. It's in no way terrible. But I do think there's like, are we just hungry? And so we're so excited by Well, that's been a line of critical thinking. I mean, there have been a number of reviews. That call it of, mediocre. Yeah or, yeah, or that, I mean, the critic Emily Yoshida writing about Ibiza for uh, Vulture. Ibiza she, is mediocre. She specifically <laughs> said, like, the Netflix standard is good enough. Like, that a Netflix movie is just kind of, like, good enough. But it's also, I'm not looking for Oscar-worthy movies every time I'm watching something. Like, if it entertains me, like, I don't need it to win an award. Like, Like, I just want to have fun and watch. I don't need it to be, like, perfect. Or, like, yeah, I mean, listen, that's, if we, if every movie has to be Nancy Myers like, level, we're not going to have a lot of romantic comedies out there, I don't think. Like, is Tag all that great? Like, right. It's fine. Shan Sono's Tag is great, and it's on Netflix. It's a very, very different tag. It's like, let me have my time. Well, for a long time, I think it's interesting that it was set it up. Screenwriter Katie Silberman, director Claire Scanlon, that I think Hollywood proper for a long time was essentially trying to sort of funnel female talent towards romantic comedies. That's sort of like where they put them. And it seems like as the rom-com sort of like fell apart, I don't know if part of the reason why we've been having these conversations recently about female filmmakers and sort of what kind of films do they even get to make is because what had been the place they'd been put like doesn't really exist anymore. So they're sort of like it became these free-floating radicals that like Hollywood didn't know where to put them. Like what, Jen, do you think is the sort of importance of rom-coms as a place for female talent and whether or not that starts to feel like they're sort of like being set aside in a way. Well, I I certainly don't think only, given the resources and the opportunity, will only make rom-coms or romantic movies or movies about women, but they're more likely to if you give them more chances in Hollywood at large. So, yeah, I think it's possible that there's some correlation between the commercial dying out of the studio romantic comedy when Katherine Heigl made five too many of them and... J-Lo and Sandra Bullock stopped making them all together. And there was no new generation of female stars that I guess could greenlight a movie on the level of Amelia Clark or whoever nowadays. So I think that when we see opportunities like this, it is a good reminder of what has been missing in terms of opportunities in the larger landscape. Although most of my favorite female directors do not make romantic comedies or comedies. They make like action movies. In genre movies. Can you think of the last romantic comedy you saw in the theater? Well, I th- Love, Simon is a good example Le- of I one. I loved Love, yeah. Simon. I consider the big sick. Yeah, um, that's true. Oh, the yeah. big sick, yeah. But those are also, neither are they very traditional oh, romantic home again. comedies. 
<laughs> Home again. Um, and the I last wish there were more, of, more like, movies traditional like both of them. was yeah. going the distance, and I think that was like the that last. That was so long ago. That was so long yeah. ago. Yeah. That's like the last one I purchased too. Really? Yes. Aww. Yeah. So yeah, I am curious to have insight into the studio like discussions around the romantic comedy, especially after set it up. Proves that there is still an audience for it. But does it prove if, like, you have no... Right, that's true. It's also interesting how, like, stars, like that Zoe said, like, she really wanted this movie. This used to make stars. Jennifer Aniston, Mm -hmm. Kate Hudson, all those big-time actresses that we love, like, came from this, Matthew McConaughey. And now that, like, doesn't happen anymore. Even Miles Teller, some of the young actors, I remember trying to do that. Like, Ryan Gosling, as I was saying, like, started really with Notebook, right? Like Uh, Mickey Mouse Club. Well, yeah, I mean, he was in things, but Notebook was what made people love him. And I think it was, like, I don't know if, like, I was asking the kids in Kissing Booth if if they had gotten new offers, and they have. But they're broad teen. They could be in dystopian whatevers. Like, is Glenn Powell going to be a young leading man in romantic films now? Like, probably not. I don't know. I would like to see what happened to Joey King and what might happen to Zoe Deutsch after this happen to, you know, leads that look more like the leads of The Big Sick or Love, Simon. And I wonder if that will happen. I wonder if this can spark more people, financiers, to back more movies in this genre. Or these genres, because we're kind of talking about two different genres that are overlapping, right? Like the teen movie, like Kissing Booth and the romantic comedy. So I don't know. It does feel like an anomaly, set it up, because I certainly would not stand for, like, every single Netflix original rom-com that is in my queue. But it does make me hopeful for the next ones, um, such as this upcoming Such as, movie. Um, yeah, To, to all, all the Boys, the boys. I've, lo- I've Loved, I've Ever Loved. To it's based the on the I've super loved. popular YA book by Jenny Han. And it's interestingly, the male like crush in this one and this other movie, Sierra Burgess is a Loser, starring Barb from Stranger Things, the male lead is the same in both of them. Same guy? Yeah. Same actor? Like the same cute, like Freddie Prince Jr. S type. He doesn't look like him at all. But that like that desirable guy like is the same actor. So I'm like, oh wow, is he gonna be the new oh. cutie? But they're I coming. I think you a- just assigned yourself a story. Oh, I literally already <laughs> am writing it. <laughs> um yeah, and those are I just don't I guess like How's the- Lana Condor? Because like that's another interesting thing about this next big rom com that is also a YA property that Netflix is pushing is that it has an, a female lead of Asian descent, which is a big move and one that I'm really excited about. But also the trailer got me excited. A lot of people excited. I think it had like a lot of views. And yeah, that's another one where there's a, like tonight, there's a big screening for that over two months before it comes out. Like there's a lot of hype around that. Lana Condor is really cute and good. And I definitely started stalking her social media after watching it, which is to me always a sign that I'm like enough. I'm pretty interested in it. And now, to sort of step back for a moment, you know, one thing I am enjoying about as we've been doing these podcasts is I basically am, like, making people explain things to me. And with this, <laughs> I'm interested in, like, what for the three of you is the appeal of the romantic comedy? Like, why do you like them? And I guess in some ways— Why I'm do at- you not, dude? <laughs> Hater. No, sorry. No, that's not. not, I mean, you know, for myself, I know I always liked romantic comedies because it seemed, especially when I was younger, it was this view into what I, it seemed like the adult world. Like you saw people like at work, you saw maybe what their apartments and homes looked like. Like It was giving you this idea of what like an adult life 
might be like. And also people were like witty and said smart things. And so, and then the idea that like you, I mean, it was funny. I was thinking about how even the, our now somewhat contemporary idea of like a work-life balance. Like you think about how much like the workplace plays a part in romantic comedies and you saw people like struggling to like work these things out. As and- if we could meet the love of our lives <laughs> at the LA Times and El Segundo. Hey, That's no, always no. been my plea. <laughs> like, can we... <laughs> what, what were young hotties at the LAT? <laughs> Yvonne, I know you are a lifelong fan of the romantic comedy, and what is it that you like about it? Like, what keeps drawing you back? Well, I think there's a lot of cynicism in the world, and I, especially about love. Like, I have so many friends to talk about. There's not the one, and love sucks, and all, especially if they're going through a breakup. And I just always appreciated and liked the hopefulness of it, especially like when I think about my grandparents and that type of love that's just so deep and it seems like a storybook. Like they're together for like 50 some years and that just seems like an impossible task nowadays. So I just always like seeing one, how people find each other and just the hopefulness of it, I guess. I agree. There's an optimism inherent in these movies where, inherent to the setup, right? And the setup of a romantic comedy, the beats that are almost part of every single, at least traditional rom-com, are like ingrained into our souls, just like fairy tales, which, you know, probably for better and worse that they prepare us probably unrealistically for real life. But there's some satisfaction to these beats that are really familiar and you know what you're rooting for. A lot of them have this dual focus narrative where you follow two people who are totally wrong for each other, but are they? And you're kind of like the dual focus allows you to like, you're naturally rooting for them to eventually come together and find a way to come together. You have elements like the meat cute, which is a staple of romantic comedies. And these things are just so satisfying, I think, to watch from a story audience kind of perspective. So for me, Something like Set It Up, which does adhere to these really familiar beats, but with, I think, like a knowingness, is really satisfying and kind of nice. I think also, like, if I'm being totally honest about it, the girl in a romantic comedy oftentimes is like the girl in real life who's never seen, but in the movie, like, gets the guy. You mean that some kind of wonderful? Yeah, like, in, you know, it's like the best friend who's usually overlooked for the hot girl, she's the one who's chosen. Or like this movie, Sierra Burgess, that's coming out, like the girl who has to catfish a guy with like the hottest cheerleader in school, like, he ends up falling for her despite that she might not be like the most beautiful person physically. And like, I just always relate to that. Like, I just want to believe that people can see who you really are and it's not just about your looks or your social status or whatever. And that's definitely a trope that romantic comedies like uphold and maybe it's fake, but at least the idea of putting it into the world like gives me some hope, like that it's a reminder that, you know, love can, <laughs> people can connect despite all these like shallow things. Well, and I also love that at least in the past, I don't know how much of this still applies today in some of the movies, but they always meet each other in like face-to-face type of interactions. It's not Tinder or whatever. Like they bump into each other here or they like They're both assistants. Yeah, yeah. I like that. As if real things can really happen in the real world. Yeah, like that you can like meet someone when you're looking up versus when you're looking at your screen. So... 
And now we have just a few. Wait, wait, wait. Mark, what do you like about romantic comedy? He kind of I just said I just I like <laughs> I like I like them because I feel like to me because they show you what they grown ups. Well, no, well, like? I think even moving that forward to me now as you know nominally a grown up person that I like the fact that <laughs> they still to my mind like are showing you the world like it's people just kind of live in their lives and oh you know like and so that's like they're at work they're at home they like meet someone on the train or like whatever it is and then like misadventures ensue. I like it because it just seems seems like a great form of people like living lives, you know. But now we have just a couple minutes left and I want to be sure to a- sort of to ask all of you what some of your just personal favorite romantic comedies are. Maybe we can help people load up their viewing you cues. You don't have enough minutes. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> well, hit me hit me uh, Yvonne, hit me with like a couple all-time of All-time favorite when Harry met Sally, like all-time favorite. Below that, I mean Sleepless in Seattle's turning 25. Are you doing something on that? No, I mean it's today and We'll talk about that after. You've got mail for sure. Oh, so you're like I, a Meg Ryan. Meg, Meg Ryan, Ryan for sure. Yeah. But Why also the, the Nora Ephron trilogy there. Yeah. Why do you think Meg Ryan was such a good romantic comedy heroine? Because she was goofy and, like, especially when Harry met Sally, like, the high-maintenance girl who thinks she's low-maintenance, like, super picky about what she eats, super neurotic. But she's so endearing and charming. Love her. Amy? Well, I asked Mark if it was okay to say a rom and not a rom-com because I got a go notebook. Like, And it's not just Ryan. It's the entire setting. It's like, in, you know it's on every four seconds. So I always catch bits and pieces of it. In totality, I'm not even sure how many times I've seen it. But like, you're a bird. <laughs> so, like, even if the lines are cheesy, when you're watching it, you're like, these actors are so good and sincere that when you take this kind of like, whatever, quote unquote, cheesy material, to, like, attempted that way, it's so affecting and meaningful. And like, I don't know, that this just that old school romance. I really, I remember. They die together. I was like, <laughs> the, I was like the old people storyline is divisive. Some people could go without it. But like, I remember once I was at home and watching it and my dad came in and he's like, you've seen this 900 billion times. And I was like, yeah. And it was the scene, like, if you're a bird, I'm a bird. And basically, you know, Rachel runs into, Rachel, like Adams <laughs> runs into the ocean and then Ryan picks her up and she's like, say you're a bird. And he's like, if you're a bird, I'm a bird. And my dad was like, you know, stuff like that doesn't happen in real life unless you make it happen, which is like, and I think what he meant is you have to put an effort into quote unquote romantic moments. If you want to live your life romantically, like that doesn't just, people don't say this stuff to you. You have to like go on these kind of dates and like put an effort in, which I was like, but I'm learning as I'm watching. Exactly. Making those moments happen. And Jen, what is your favorite rom-com? My favorite of all time is also a sports movie that I saw when I was 11 years old. It is from the year 1992, and it is called The Cutting Edge. Excellent. <laughs> it's about—it's one of these, like, opposites attract. Very opposite. Romantic comedies where Moira Kelly plays this prissy figure skater who has to team up with the only Paris partner who can stand her, played by D.B. Sweeney, who's also himself a former hockey player with something to prove, and they can't stand each other until they, they can. Do. <laughs> So and good. it comes together at an Olympics performance, and it just, like, hit so many right beats for me. And now, am I, correct? I definitely Was that... watched all of the direct-to-video sequels. Who wrote The Cutting Edge? I'm so glad you asked, because it was written by Tony Gilroy. Oh, my God. Nightcrawler Tony Gilroy? Uh, no. That's Dan Gilroy, oh, Dan. Oh, Tony's oh, brother. Yeah. Tony, of course, was involved in Rogue One and the Bourne Michael trilogy. Michael Clayton. Just as 
odd. Yeah. yeah. What's your exactly. fave? I'd like to. Yeah, what's yours? Tony's my favorite love Gilroy because of this. <gasps> actually. Love, love, actually. What about the part in the holiday where the little girls are in the tents? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Mark has no idea what we're talking about. What's your favorite? Mark, I, the look on Mark's I'm face. shocked. Don't say the ugly truth. Well, no, but you thought I did not Have know one? something that happened in a Nancy Myers movie. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I mean, I, I, you know, I'm never good with, like, single faves. I mean, I think, like, I... Don't play that game. What's your fave? You asked us. Nancy Myers, it's complicated. It's oh, complicated? that's so good, too. Do you think, is that the rom-com that you feel like you've seen the most in your life? It is a movie I have watched many times. It's like I put it on a lot, so probably. But also, you know, Broadcast News I've watched a bunch. His Girl Friday I've watched a bunch. The Awful Truth I've watched a bunch. There's plenty of movies. And also, let's not forget, While You Were Sleeping. Oh. Which I remember. I saw that in theaters multiple times, which is a rare The pre-Big Sick. So that's a great way to put it. It was so dramatic when I I remember seeing that. I was like, I couldn't believe he misled her that way. And with that, we want to uh, encourage anyone listening to this to, first of all, go out in the world and look for love. Secondly, (laughs) make those romantic moments. Secondly, if you are at home, find yourself some good rom-coms on uh, the streaming platform of your choice. Or if you still believe in physical media. Yeah. But uh, Amy, tell people where they can find you online. You can find me at Amy K in LA. And in a few weeks, I'll be writing a story telling you all about the new Netflix rom-coms. Check it out. Jen? You can find me at, at Jen Yamato and sitting in front of my television now watching Set It Up for the I Won't Tell You How Many Time. <laughs> Mine's always super hard. It's at Via Really. Spell it. Spell it. B-I-L-L-A-R-R-E-A-L-Y. Where can we find you, Mark? I am online at Indie Focus is my Twitter handle. And then also weekly newsletter that I write, latimes.com slash Indie Focus. Is anyone still listening? If they are, I'd like to also shout out Some Kind of Wonderful, my second favorite, very close second. <laughs> you know what? Instead of, I'm going to go watch those. I'm going to go Wait, we're just like Tom, those. we're just like the DJ in Sleep is in Seattle. That's what we're like right now. Do you no, think this know. podcast will help somebody? Write us. Call us, call us. <laughs> Meet at the Tweet Empire us. State Building. Tweet us. What? Tweet Mark. Saying what? Tweet Mark. Tweet us with your love stories. I always want us to connect yes, you. Yes, I would gladly make this a call. Does anyone want to date us? <laughs> <laughs> Mark's taken, but the rest of us are not. <laughs> At Amy K. That's LA. the saddest <laughs> way to end this ever. <laughs> that would be like, would that be romantic comedy? I'd be like, I was doing a podcast <laughs> about romantic comedy. And with that, for LA Times Studios and The Real, I'm Mark Olson. Thanks for listening. 